You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 181 of American Sex. We're back. We are back from hiatus. And I'm telling you, Ken and I missed you. You'll hear from Ken in just a few minutes in our conversation portion of the episode, but you might have noticed something, right? New intro, new music. Yeah, we have been tidying up and doing a little updating while we've been gone. And we might even sound a little bit different too. And when I say different, I actually mean better because uh, we got some fancy dancy new recording equipment. I know, right? Standing ovation, applause, applause. Yes, yes, because it's got sound effects. I am so excited. But just because we have the new fancy, you know, equipment, does that mean I know anything about how to, to edit? No, still not really. But I can press buttons. See, that's good. Um, So let me tell you about this week's guest, Dr. Ashley Winter. She's a board-certified urologist and sexual medicine physician. And if you are not following her on Twitter, drop everything right now. Go follow her, stat Ashley G. Winter. And I got the link in in the show notes, in the episode description. Go, do it now. This conversation, uh, this is the conversation that you wish you could have with your doctor. That is, if your doctor was totally cool, sex and kink positive, not shamey, never judgy, and had about an hour and a half, give or take, to sit with you and answer every damn question you could think of about sex and genitals from a medical perspective. So here's some of the things we touch on in this conversation. We do some myth-busting pleasure biology about uh, G-spot, squirting, clitoral stimulation, prostate play, pre-cum, erections, lots of stuff. We discuss how patients and doctors can better talk to each other about their sexual health needs. We go on to pubic hair grooming and considerations for diabetics, why urethral sounding feels good and how to do it safely, the science behind the long-held belief in the kink community that, well, of course, urine is sterile. I got some news for y'all, but we'll get to that. And we also talk about how COVID affects your sexual health. You know, things like COVID dick, restless anal syndrome and restless genital syndrome, urine therapy, reproductive considerations, and a bunch more. Plus, there's lots of jokes and puns and just straight up silly ridiculousness, you know, the usual, right? But this is peak perfect because there is no more appropriate time to laugh until you tinkle in your pants 
than when you're listening to a podcast episode with a urologist, right? So yeah, our stars are really aligning with this episode. Wait, no, wait, wait, our planets are aligning. Because I know there was a Uranus joke in there somewhere. I screwed it up. Anyway, you're in for an amazing episode. (laughs) But real quick, uh, before we roll that conversation, let's wash the balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex. Okay, so first order of business isn't even so much housekeeping. It's just like, hi, you know, check it in. We missed you over hiatus. It's been what, like six, six weeks, seven weeks, something like that. You know, as you already heard, we've done a few updates and we got new podcast music. You'll hear more of it in the outro. And, you know, when we go to sponsor breaks. What do you think? Do you like it? Did, did you like the old one? I, I don't know. I don't know. Let us know. But hiatus was good. You know, I've been working on my book. It's Customizable Kink, A Strategic Guide to Adult Play. And it's slow going, but it's still going. It's going. Um, You know what? I've been going through some health stuff too. Nothing horrible. You know, getting to the bottom of my long suspected mystery autoimmune issues once and for all. So that's been exhausting and exciting and brain foggy and all the things, which is, you know, why the book is slow going because my brain, I don't know where my brain is half the time. But it's been a fascinating process learning about the neurology behind some of these autoimmune conditions. And aside from applying all of that to my own personal situation and my own body, I have been really geeking out about the mind-body connection just in general, how our our various nervous systems um, connect everything, our emotions, our body, how we fit. It's just, ah, and then my brain fits it into kink, and in, in BDSM, how we hijack our own minds and bodies, our own physiology to induce various states of being with, with sensory input. Yeah. So anyway, I've, I've been geeking out. If you want to geek out with me on health stuff and, and all that, I share a bit on my Twitter or on my personal Facebook, which my posts about this are public. And, you know, if you're just following me, you can see them. Uh, so yeah, if you, if you geek out about body and health stuff, you know where to find those conversations. So aside from that, you know, like having occasional existential crises, crises, whatever, as one does during a global pandemic, when democracy is on the verge of collapse, you know, been doing that, but I'm sure, I'm sure you can relate. We've all been doing that. All in all, though, we're happy to be back. And just to look ahead, during at least the first quarter of 2022, our episodes will be bi-weekly, as we've done in the past, and then we'll pick it up to weekly again in a few months. As far as events go, I'm in the midst of scheduling a few, so I'll have some more announcements next week, but one I can tell you about now is for kink and sexuality educators. I'm going to be on a panel with Devin Stone and Anixia Roberts talking about how to negotiate pay and set your rates and get over imposter syndrome to ask for what you're worth as a sexuality professional. So that's on February 12th. I've got the link in the show notes. And that's actually a part of an ongoing multi-class series for sexuality and kink education professionals by Kink Positive. 
And if you're new here and you don't know the drill, you're going to want to visit the episode description, aka the show notes for this episode, because there's always lots of goodies there. We get lots of compliments on our robust, full-figured, voluptuous show notes. I mean, they are. There's lots of links. There's always further reading, further education, and there's also some useful links too, like the link to our sex and kink positive Discord community. We would love for you to join us there and continue these conversations. Go to bit.ly slash Discord ASP or get the link in the show notes to join the American Sex Podcast Discord server. And there in the show notes, you're going to find the link to our Patreon page and membership gets you American Fucker stickers and all of our episodes early and patron-only videos and hangouts and more. That's patreon.com slash American Sex. And in those show notes, there are tons of discounts and coupon codes for all sorts of things from sex toys to BDSM gear and a bunch more. And there's free stuff like the link to my absolutely free kink negotiation mini workbook too. So lastly, it goes without saying, If you dig American Sex Podcast, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Okay, that's it. Our hiatus ketchup is over, which sounds like I'm saying ketchup, all right? Mustard, mayonnaise, no. Oh, there's a thing. It's just reminding me. Uh, I heard, I don't know if you heard that, that, I don't know if it's Heinz or whoever makes the condiments, has a mustard mayonnaise mashup called mayo must and i don't know about that but all i can think is mayo must not (laughs) anyway i don't know where that came from uh that's it these balls are clean there's no mayo must or must not on our balls here is dr ashley wencher I'm so excited. I know Ken is so excited. We have got Dr. Ashley Winter on the line to talk about all things, I don't know, genitals, pee, urine, urology, all the things you've ever wanted to ask your doctor, but you're like, that's I'm, too dirty. I'm so excited about this because we never, like in all of our <laughs> years, we don't get the chance to talk to somebody with your specialty. So please forgive our enthusiasm because it's uh, like, it's genuinely a thrill for us to be able to talk about this. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I'm I'm genuinely uh, enthusiastic to be here. Um yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in some respects, you know, we we in some ways we we all do similar things and um yeah, I mean, I I will tell you like there are days when I feel like a urologist and I'm just doing kidney stone surgery and other days when I feel like I am 100% like a sex educator and um like the other day when I had a patient who was telling me that he had never looked at his wife's genitals and they had been married for a very long time and they only had sex with the lights off. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I was like, all right, we're, we're going to do this now. Wow. We're going to do this now. I'm like, you have to go home and you and your spouse need to just turn on the lights and look at each other's genitals. And, you know, and that's a conversation they never taught us to have in med school. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to start there because 
Ken and I have, you know, every once in a while, we'll have a medical school have us come in and give a guest lecture on like, yes, people do kinks. And this is some of the stuff they do. And whether it's the the educators at the medical school or the medical students or doctors are like, we don't get taught this. Like, you know, we might get a handful of hours of sex ed, if that. And so, you know, not only are doctors pretty squeamish and hands-off when it comes to talking about patient sexual health, sexual habits, et cetera, because that totally informs their their health. Um, you know, patients are too. They hide their kinks. They think my doctor's not going to understand. So what are what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Because I know you have them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I say it all the time on, uh, I guess, on my Twitter account, but, you know, sexual health is health, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, unfortunately, there's kind of this putting of sexuality into this, uh, you know, black box that's kind of shoved to the side and thought of as kind of a... Um, extracurricular aspect of of existing you know like it's not essential for life uh the way uh you know walking talking uh not having cancer uh you know breathing is and you know that's just that's just absolutely wrong i mean it's an it's an essential part of of living and uh it affects you know our relationships our joy our um our pain, uh, you know, our pleasure, uh, everything. And, and, and being, you know, sexually health competent can really save people's lives too, but not, but more importantly, I mean, give people a a quality of life. Right. Uh And I think as, as, as a medical community, uh, it's always important to focus on like, not just making sure people are alive, but that they're living a life worth living, you know? And so, so I am 100%, you know, on board. Sexual health is health. Um, this is so important. And I agree with you a thousand percent that sex is barely covered in medical school. And when it is, it's almost entirely in the context of reproduction, uh. um, which is just absolutely bonkers, right? I mean, there, I, I don't know if I had a single minute of my education that was talking about orgasm unless it was talking about ejaculation right or about um you know female pelvic anatomy outside of the context of um uh, you know baby making (laughs) and yeah i mean it's just it's it and and look i mean i was in med school over 10 years ago at this point, but I don't think we've come that far. (laughs) Um, I mean, I even the other day on Twitter just asked doctors if they had ever had a lecture about the clitoris, right, which is just an organ. I mean, Uh we're not even talking about sex, just like that organ. And the percentage of people who said no, it was never even mentioned in med school is like insane. I mean, it was just wow, astounding number of people. So that's how far we have to go. Um, And then, you know, in terms of kink, I mean, that's absolutely never covered. Um, At least not that I could ever remember. Uh And it is funny because, you know, like just the other day, again, I keep going back to my Twitter, but your Twitter is actually how we found out about you because (laughs) I love your snark and I love your comments. And like I was an old medic in the Air Force and I worked in the ER for a long time. And a lot of sexual accidents happened because people don't have good sex education. We had a guy that came in with a titanium cock ring on. 
And yes. uh, and one of the issues about that is first of all, if like he had the the, the just the sex education not to use titanium because if you are preapic and you come into the emergency room, do you know how you get to remove that? You have to use the jaws of life. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. And something well, as simple as like a simple lesson and like, you know what, these are aluminum cock rings, like might not be a bad just calling a cock ring a cock ring. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. I mean, and this is the thing. So I, you know, had posted this tweet, like saying doctors should sell sex toys, um, you know, not as like a money making scheme, but more so to to because there are, I think, patients that are interested in sex toys and they just can't take the leap to go into a sex toy store. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, like or order one online. And I'd love to say everybody should just get over it and everybody should be comfortable and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like I have. Some patients out there who just don't have that comfort level, and I I don't know if they ever will until they break that, like take that step. Uh-huh. And and the one of the more interesting things that people kept saying was all these people who work in emergency rooms who kept talking about how all the stuff that like they have to retrieve out of people's anuses oh, yeah. and you know and and I was yeah. like this is like this is part of, so not only is like you know, sexual health education and kink education important for treating our patients like whole human beings. But also there's like a risk mitigation apps. Right. right? Like, like y- this is crazy, right? Of like it's not, not just what, what, not that you're trying to tell people ass. to be kinky. It's like, <laughs> yeah, if we don't talk about it, people are going to do it the wrong way. Like people want to do it, right? It's like people are going to do it no matter what. If you don't talk about kinks people are still going to put people things up their butts like right. it's you know what i mean like it doesn't make it go away i'm envisioning so, a whole line of like medical posters like when you go in the doctor's office and they have little like psas about your health like one in, about butts like that ha- has the catchphrases like um without a base without a trace no flare don't put it there you know like right seriously <laughs> right right no i know i know Totally, because you almost need signaling to like to suggest to people that it's a safe place to bring it up, right? right? I mean, I think it's the same way. You know, a lot of clinicians who let's say have you know a little pin on their uh, white coat with a with a rainbow, then it makes you know their like LGBTQ patients feel more comfortable. You know, kind of disclosing their you know kind of sexuality. Uh, similarly, there probably needs to be, you know, ways to message to people that it's okay to talk about things like that. Because unfortunately, there are too many clinicians who, if you say, oh, you know, I was sounding, they're going to be like, why would you do that? Or what is that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, stop doing that. Or, you know, instead of saying how to do it safely, they're just going to tell you not to, which is not a way to, to you know, have a productive relationship right. with somebody. It's not realistic either. And there's so much, you know, like, just as a patient, when I go to the doctor, a lot of us have had either traumatic experiences with, you know, medical stuff, or at least ones that weren't so hot. You know, there's there's the inadvertent shaming because maybe a doctor isn't familiar. Like I had one where, you know, we're non-monogamous and it's like, are you married? Yes. Okay. So you have a committed partner. You don't need SDI testing. Well, actually I do. What do you mean? Well, I have other partners. But you said you were in a committed relationship. I am, but I also have other partners. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, and it's like, oh, God, right. just little things like that, you know, that that might seem little really aren't, especially when you add them up over a lifetime of seeing doctors yeah. that don't understand different types of lifestyles and, and whatnot. 
Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Although I am finding that more millennial doctors and Zoomer doctors are more familiar with a lot of this stuff. Um, I get a lot of my health care at the VA and the younger doctors are much more in touch with, you know, odd relationship types or, or I mean, like, like different kinks, you know, they're at the, at the very least, maybe they've seen or heard of like, you know, 50 shades of gray or something. And they're viscerally aware of this stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. If not into it themselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Kinky doctors for the win. Like, <laughs> And we know so, you're out there. We know totally. you're out there. We've met some of you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, you know, speaking of your Twitter, it's, amazing all the american fuckers listening go follow right now um every day there is some either a great piece of information usually a number of great pieces of information sometimes a joke what was it one that you just recently posted like uh doctor i have a problem and something like it's hard do you remember the one i'm talking about yeah that was that was today Uh, oh i didn't see it what was it doctor i'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed to talk about this. And I'm like, I know it's hard. And he's like, no, that's the problem. It's not hard. (laughs) It's like so basic. Like it's such a basic joke, but I just, but you know, like I have to share those things because those are the kind of really goofy conversations that actually happen in the urology office all the time. And I just, I just love it. I just love taking these things that people are so ashamed of talking about and just like having fun, you know? Um, and making people comfortable like it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, the humor and the dad jokes are so disarming. And you know, it's, it's goofy, but it works. It works. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, so many different things I've learned just by looking at your Twitter. And I consider myself like, I'm a sexual health educator, and I'm kind of a medical geek. And I'm still like, whoa, what? Um, One that recently I saw, and me and Ken were like, oh, shit, like, why didn't we ever think of this? We should have, was you were talking about um, if you are diabetic, don't shave your balls. Oh, yeah, because I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer with type 2 diabetes, and I use Manscaped products, and I do shave yeah, my balls. we love Manscaped, by the way. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but, like, I, but sunny for every single, off. like, I have breakouts everywhere, like, nothing heals anytime I get the tiniest nick. Like, things just don't heal anymore. Yeah. So what happens if he cuts his balls? But with Manscaped, they have no nick technology. <laughs> sunny. Okay, shameless plug. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. I just actually tweeted at them and I was like, I'm a urologist and I shave a lot of balls and you need to send me your product. And they sent me one. It's in the mail. So I'm excited to to get it. For real, their products are great. I I actually do use their products and they have more than that. They have like no uh, stuff. Like, yeah, they have like ball cream, ball powder. Like, it's awesome. Like just stuff (laughs) to make your junk smell nice. Yeah. Yeah. Shampoo. So what what's Very the deal nice. with with shaving your balls when you're diabetic? Yeah, so again, I'm I'm certainly not against uh manscaping or genital grooming as a as a blanket uh practice, you know, I think people should do whatever they want with their genital hair, uh you know, whether it's rooming it, keeping it, braiding it, I don't care what you do with it. But um uh you know, my my point with that was in, in people with diabetes, particularly people with, um, you know, elevated blood sugar, so maybe their, you know, blood sugar is not in the range that's the target range for health, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there's kind of what we call poorly controlled and well-controlled diabetes. Um, 
And and mostly that the people who have, you know, those elevated blood sugars are at much higher risk of infections. Mm-hmm. And the concern being that if you nick your skin and you have a high A1C, which is an indicator of high blood sugars, um, you know, that, that you have a much higher risk of getting genital infections. Um, and so there's a condition called Fournier's gangrene, um, or you can, another more general name for it is necrotizing fat, fasciitis, which is uh. basically, uh, like a flesh eating bacterial infection. Uh. Uh, and, I almost e- exclusively see it in people with diabetes, uh, and it definitely can happen after uh, genital shaving. Um, or yeah, and and, and it's horrible, <laughs> uh, like to the point where you will have to have your entire, let's say, scrotum or labia like cut off of <gasps> you so that you don't die. Um, both yeah, my grandfather and, and great grandfather died from it, but because it, they got it in on their, their feet. Balls? No, other feet. Oh, oh. not other balls. Oh, they well, they, but, no, actually, one of them might have had it on their balls, but like it was the feet that did them in. Okay, okay. That's why he had the closed casket. Oh, <laughs> that, was, that was a disgusting joke. I know. <laughs> we love you for that. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> it's <was> horrible. <laughs> uh, I, oh god. Anything I'm at sorry. the cost of humor. Just, it's okay. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> um, and. Yeah. So, so there's that. And then there's also, you know, um, uh, scrotal abscess. So meaning like that's much less bad than necrotizing fasciitis. Um, but scrotal abscess is also just where you get kind of like a pouch of, of infection on your scrotum. And again, this can happen also, uh, you know, in, in labias and vulvas. So, you know, no matter what type of genitals you have, if you have diabetes, you know, just before you start manipulating your hair down there, you know, just be cautious and, and make sure to check in with your doctor about your blood sugar control. So again, not trying to shame or scare people, just, uh, you know, be careful. (laughs) No, that's, that's, Good information. And I, and you, you know, know what? I'm Googling gonna... pictures of this right oh, now. No. I a million no, percent agree with that. you. Just look at the images. Holy I'm, cow. Yeah. I'm a fan of like, you know, middle of the road. Maybe not, uh, you know, make your carpet into a slick linoleum floor, but just have like a really short, neatly trimmed, you know, shag. Yeah. Yeah, that's especially in the time of a pandemic when, you know, going to an emergency room is the last thing that you want to have to do for something stupid like that right now. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Like, we're helping the overwrought healthcare system in the U.S. by keeping people out of of the ER for things up their butts and and scrotal infections. So you're you're doing Really important work here. So speaking of COVID, there's a couple of yeah. things having oh, to yeah. do with genitals and COVID. Um, one that I have recently heard of is... Um, and this is a, a real form- thing. Did you actually research this? No, yeah. Okay. A form of restless leg syndrome um, for, for long COVID people that's either restless anal syndrome. And I just recently heard of restless genital syndrome where like the nerves of the the genitals are affected is hmm. is, is this a thing like, I'm, I, that, I, was like that i have to do more research okay. on i don't i don't know <laughs> okay yeah i just started hearing about because a friend of like, ours is like she has a uh, restless labia 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've, it's something I've never heard of before, and I was hoping it would be but something. There's that- so much we don't know about long COVID. I think, I, I mean, you know, what I'm looking at this a little bit um, with this restless genital syndrome, I think they're saying kind of unintrusive, in, sorry, intrusive, uh, undesired, um, like pain or arousal in the genitals. And that, you know, typically in medical terms is something known as a PGAD or persistent genital arousal disorder. Okay. Um, which is, which is, uh, basically a, a neurologic, um, condition that makes you feel some sort of discomfort or pain in the, in the, you know, penis, clitoris, uh, genitals. Um, and it's a fascinating condition that's really oftentimes quite hard to treat, actually. Um, I haven't been aware of the connection with, with COVID, but I'll have to do more research. Well, is there, um, like, but- that was my question. Is there any sort of clotting, like, issue with that particular disorder, or is it completely psychological? It wouldn't be psychological. I, I wouldn't say it would be. Or neurological. Probably, I wouldn't you said neurological. think it would be. Yeah. Yeah, it would be more neurologic, um, and I don't know if it's caused by some sort of like inflammation in the nerves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, around your genitals. Uh, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I, um, I was getting the feel, and again, I'm no medical professional, but I was getting the feel. It was kind of like peripheral neuropathy, but like in your mm. junk, sort of, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, it's certainly it's certainly possible. And um, so. So yeah, that's crazy. there's also COVID folks, I guess, trying to prevent uh, getting restless genitals. And it, in order to prevent that, they're drinking their own urine. And uh, not that I have anything wrong with that. Like, your kink is your kink. Wait, are you are you suggesting they're doing that because of restless genitals? No, they're just doing it because they don't want to get COVID. Oh, okay. And, you know, it, right. it, it, going down the long road, that means they don't want to well, get restless genitals. they're doing genital, it because genitals. they have a severe lack of critical thinking and they don't want to get COVID. <laughs> I mean, not that, and like, I'm the last person to shame somebody for, like, no. as a kink. If you're Go drinking ahead, pee and it's, your it's your kink, great. It's if why you're doing it for the health, yeah. <laughs> I want to reconsider that. I don't know. Doc, what do you think? Like, do you, would you drink your own pee for health reasons? I would absolutely not drink my own pee for health reasons. Uh, <laughs> I also wouldn't drink my own pee for kink reasons because I'm, I'm not into that. But uh, certainly if you drink your pee or somebody else's pee for kink reasons and you know it's for that, uh, you know, and you do it obviously as not your primary source of fluid intake, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that I'm all, I'm all behind it. But um, like barring but no, any infections or antibiotic use, it's like good to go or like, is there anything you need to be worried about? Like if you're drinking urine, if you're drinking your, if, if you're drinking somebody's urine in general, yeah, just hypothetically, yeah, that's a great question. So, so it's definitely something I would do sparingly, um, and and the reason I say that is just because urine is one of the body's waste products. That's um, that's a subjective so, time though. What is sparingly to you? <laughs> because that might be I, don't I, know. I mean <laughs> once honestly, a day sparingly or a, once a week sparingly. Once a month? Anniversary pee. <laughs> You know, if you're if you're really into like peeing kinks, maybe like you know most of it just put on or around your mouth instead. You know, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) like the smoking mirrors. I'm looking like I'm drinking it, but I'm only getting a little. Yeah, like I think you can have a lot of fun with pee without like ingesting it. Like you can still really elevate and and explore pee without you know necessarily swallowing it right. I, I don't know um but but honestly i i can't tell you um how much pee drinking is is dangerous from the you know toxin standpoint because right. i 
haven't really thought about that before and I don't think there's enough studies on it. But, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that your body is not meant to have in it that your comes out in your pee, right? So you just have to be careful. I mean, for example, there's a lot of renally excreted medication. So if you drink somebody else's pee, you know, you can be drinking the metabolic byproducts of their medications, right? right. And you don't necessarily, so, so unless you have like somebody's medication list and you've reviewed everything on it and made sure it's not like, it doesn't have components that are, are dangerous to, you know, and again, it's going to be in fairly small quantities. I'm sure doing it once or twice or whatever is not going to be too dangerous. But if we're really kind of drilling down on the specifics of it, right, that's just one aspect, right? So yeah. one aspect is that, you know, metabolic byproducts, uh, products of people's medications are in there. Also, um, Oh, this is another thing that I I always like hone, drill down on this concept of sterility. Yeah, um, yeah, that's because that seems like that's a urban legend. Yeah, kinksters always go, it's fine because pee is sterile, and I have my thoughts, but I'm not the urologist. So, what are yours? Yeah, pee is not sterile. It's it's not sterile. It's not sterile. I could say this all day long. It's not sterile, and even if it was sterile, that's not a reason to drink anything, right? I mean, you can drink a bottle of rubbing alcohol. That's sterile. Like, it doesn't mean you should drink it, right? Like, I don't... That's not a reason to drink don't anything. Do like, that, it's so crazy that for some reason that those two things have gotten linked. Like, I, I understand that you're not drinking... Like, it's not the same as straight-up feces and, um, you know, but, but it's not sterile. So uh, there are small bacterial loads in urine. Um, it's called, like, the urinary microbiome. Um, and, and it ranges everywhere from like low, very low levels of bacteria to, um, people who sometimes have actually very high levels of bacteria. Now there are of course urinary tract infections, which people know about, but there are some people who have no urinary symptoms at all and have fairly significant volumes of, of bacteria in their urine and are not bothered by it. And that's huh. fine as long as it's not causing symptoms. Um, you know, uh, and again, the, the sterility thing doesn't matter, right? I mean, like most of the food you eat or probably all the food you eat isn't sterile. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, it's just like, yeah. So, so you know, just be careful with your urine consumption, you know, play with urine, do whatever you want. Just, just you know, don't, I don't know. Because <laughs> if you drink stuff. too much, if you drink too much, you're in trouble. trouble. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, you uh, suck. People love that joke. The other joke people like making to urologists is like, "Oh, there's a vast difference between this and that." And oh, like, vast difference! Like, oh my God, I I'm need like, to make that joke now when I'm yeah. teaching penis classes. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I, good. The other one that I was always guilty of is uh, whenever I was doing a vasectomy, like, and you cut out the piece of of the vast deference i'd look at the patient and be like oh that's a nice piece of vast you got there and uh <laughs> so stupid right like so dumb uh oh my god, oh my god. yeah oh. so <laughs> and then so i was like maybe i need to stop saying this because i'm making like patients feel like like i'm looking at them as a you know a piece of meat or something you're objectifying their vast <laughs> i know exactly i don't know i was just like i <laughs> <laughs> like someday someone's gonna be like oh that that urologist really just looked at my vast like it was a piece of meat and you know i didn't know how to speak I'm wondering, like if they're just thinking like you know like you're looking at it like it's a sexual object like it's a yeah 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 i, I, yeah. I don't know 
Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Um, COVID what? dick. Oh, COVID. Yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about COVID dick. One Is that a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. So this thing, you know, I could definitely dive into a little more specifically. So um, erections are a blood flow event, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning that you get a bunch of blood and it flows into your penis and the penis traps it. Uh, and that's how you stay hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we know really well from COVID is that the virus affects uh, blood vessels and these cells that line blood vessels called endothelial cells and, and really ca- can cause massive endothelial dysfunction. Um, and that manifests in a ton of different ways. But one of the ways it, it manifests is by affecting those blood vessels um, in your in and around your penis and and can lead to erectile dysfunction so um you know there's there's a number of studies showing you know virus particles living in the penis and being detected in the penis uh even after you know covid infection has resolved and people you know basically having new onset erectile dysfunction after a covid infection so um you know, and these sort of side effects definitely correlating with the severity of infection. So that is, you know, why there's been a number of different kind of initiatives to encourage people to get vaccinated, you know, with the idea being that it might prevent or reduce the severity of their COVID infection and therefore, you know, save penis function. And of course, as an aside, um, you know, clitoris has a clitoral erection and uh, has the same uh you know blood vessels and erectile tissue as the penis does so you know nobody's studied it but the presumption is also that uh you can have reduced clitoral sensation or you know more difficulty with orgasm uh you know from covid in in you know clitoris bearing people as well so just you know a little side on on that too yeah, I, I have a question about that. That's not exactly COVID related, but is clitoral related? Yeah. The dorsal clitoral no, nerve. No, only talk about COVID. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the only C word. It's the only C the word. Only, the only C word. <laughs> the dorsal clitoral nerve is at a location where, anecdotally, we've had a lot of people through the years, and I've been a sex educator since about '89. Uh, that report that that's the best, most erogenous area, and it's like, what is the? Th- oh, okay. Like, so if you were to if you were looking at somebody's clitoris head on, it's facing you, and it were a clock. Most people find the most sensitive areas are either like ten o'clock and two o'clock, which is the same location where the dorsal clitoral nerve sort of comes near the surface. There. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is there is what, like, mean, what what is the function of that particular nerve? Because I couldn't I, I, like it's difficult for me to find anything on it because I haven't found any studies. Nobody cares about clitorises. Nobody <laughs> studies clitorises. No. We don't know how it's innervated. What does it do? Orgasms for people with vaginas? No. Okay. Anyway, Labia. Sorry. How yeah. do they work? <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's a hundred percent correct. Uh, I mean, there's so much people, just, nobody knows anything about the clitoris. It's just absolutely insane. So first off, you know, like people always say the clitoris has like 8,000 nerves. Like that's not true. Yeah. Um, I mean, it has, you know, actually very interestingly, there's a, um, uh, you know, re- reconstructive, um, you know, transgender, uh, you know, surgeon, uh, who's doing some studies on this, but what they're essentially, you know, kind of microscopically looking at the clitoris as they're, you know, taking, uh, 
specimens like during bottom surgery mm-hmm. and um and and when they look at it what they what they tend to find is that you know the clitoris has the same number of nerves as the penis does which yes. makes sense because they're anatomical homologs i mean they're basically the same thing just one's bigger and one's smaller and one has a urethra running through it and one doesn't um so you know this idea that like the clitoris is this mystical little nugget of like you know crazy sparkles that nobody can understand is just complete garbage i mean it's just you know a (laughs) it's just the same thing as as the penis in a different kind of size ratio um and and that's not to be reductive that's to be very like validating um you know to the importance of it uh i always say you wouldn't tell like you know, a typical penis carrying individual to, to figure out how to orgasm without their penis being stimulated um, ever, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But yep. that's something that's generally expected of clitoris <laughs> bearing people, so, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as an aside, so yeah, so the, so the dorsal nerve of the clitoris and the dorsal nerve of the penis are, are at the 10 and 2 o'clock position. Um, so if I wanted to make your penis numb, like I was doing an office procedure on your penis, and I wanted to make your penis numb or your clitoris numb, I would I would inject lidocaine at the 10 and 2 o'clock position. Um, and what those nerves are responsible for is basically uh, all the sensation of your penis or clitoris, uh, you know, the tactile stimulation that leads to orgasm. Um, and yeah, and it's just super important. So... Have y'all heard of Beducated? They are like the Netflix of sexual wellness. Beducated is an online course platform with easy to follow video, audio, and written guides. They offer an expert backed library of courses from Tantra to kink. Now I know you're digging some of the info that we're talking about in this episode. Well, one of Beducated's many classes is squirting. In it, you get a deep dive on anatomy and physiology from the pelvic floor all the way to the science that answers that age-old question, what is squirt? Is it pee or is it something else? Then you get to deep dive into all the pleasure secrets with step-by-step videos showing the how and where of various pleasure techniques. Or Learn to lick like a champ with the Cunnilingus course. Learn the basic techniques and get to see them performed by real couples. Then grab an orange, a peach, or another lickable prop to practice what you've learned with the follow-along portion of the course. And for refreshers, you've got the Cunnilingus Technique Library at your fingertips. A Beducated subscription gets you unlimited access to all of the online courses, which is over 100 hours of video and audio content from world-renowned educators. And here's a hot tip. You can get 65% off Beducated's yearly pass with our code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y. Just go to Beducated.com and use the code SUNNY. Your 65% will be locked in for life. That's Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com and use the code SUNNY. And that link is in the episode description. Guess what? It's finally time to start that podcast you've been thinking about. Go! Because I've got two free months of podcasting service for you with Libsyn. List your show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, get a dashboard full of critical show building stats. Plus, Libsyn even does video. Use the code SUNNY at Libsyn.com or follow the link in the show notes. 
I, I feel so fucking validated yeah. right now. Yeah, totally validated. <laughs> and also, I just want to mention for the American fuckers listening along whose brains are still stuck on, what do you mean the clitoris doesn't have 8,000 nerve endings, which is twice as much as a penis? In one of my kink freestyle episodes, I think it was the last one. I'll, fi- I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I explain exactly why we think that it was based on a study of like sheep and cows or something. And then Uh how that rumor got perpetuated through the sex ed community. Like it's in, in human sexuality textbooks, like so many people believe that myth Wow, and there is no scientific fact for it. Um, Oh my God. I love that you have an episode about that because I just, it's one of those things where people who think they're very like sex positive or sex educated, like will say crazy things like the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings. So I love, I love that you had an episode saying that wasn't true. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Because We are guilty of saying that in the past, by the way, which is why we know to correct ourselves now. When I found (laughs) out it wasn't true, my brain kind of fell out of my head and like springs popped out. And I was like, what do you mean? That's what they teach us. Like the official people who know what they're talking about have told me that. What? And so I went on this wild goose chase trying to figure out the history and the evolution of this myth and like how it came to be, how it spread, why everybody, like you said, it's like, I know a little Cliff Clavin factoid about the clitoris. And it's like, that's not true. Um, So yeah, there's a whole, a whole thing. I dove down the rabbit hole. Oh my God. I have to listen to that episode. Yeah. I'll, (laughs) I'll find it. I'll let you know which number it is. It's one of the kink freestyle ones. I can't remember. I'll find it. Anyway, um, I mean, but this is the crazy thing, right? Like it is such an affront to our sexual education for people to not understand that the penis and the clitoris are homologs and they essentially have the same structure in different size ratios. Right. And if you and if you understood that and if every single person just understood that, how many more, you know, women would get orgasms? How many more women would have? vibrators how many more people would not be susceptible to these ridiculous ideas like that it has twice the nerve endings as a penis it that can't make sense it, when yeah. you understand the embryologic basis of that and and also understanding that right really normalizes people with intersex conditions it normalizes exactly you know kind of the gender spectrum uh because because you understand that these things are truly similar and in many people on a spectrum right Mm -hmm. so um so yeah thank you for debunking that (laughs) yeah absolutely and and you know to your point when i teach any of like my genital pleasure classes i talk about how hey in vitro they're kind of all the same and everyone's like you can see everyone like smoke coming out of ears like what and then everything clicks everything about like mapping partners genitals for pleasure clicks every you know all of the the myths that don't make sense like the eight thousand nerve endings and i i want to kick myself for believing it because and i i know logically it's like wait a minute when i step back and i think of the logic behind it you're right that makes no sense but because it was drilled into my head by people that were renowned folks in their field and it's been in books i just believed it without going wait let me do a logic check this doesn't yeah. make sense and it's like if if yeah. that could go over my head you know it's going over Honey, so have you any, have you any hate from that has yeah. anybody been giving you sass about the the facts with it no 
Not at all. They're just like, mind blown, or oh, shit, I'll stop saying that now. (laughs) Right. No, and look, we all can make mistakes. And it's not, I don't think this is anybody's fault here. I think it is a failure of basic education amongst the population, right? I mean, it's just, it's our, just our, our education about sex and genitals is abominable. And, you know, the fact that I am somebody who completed four years of medical school and six years of uh, urologic residency and didn't understand a lot of things about sex until I did a fellowship. Uh, So I consider myself more understanding of genitals than 99.99% of the population. And it took Uh me that long to get there is like, how is anybody supposed to know anything? Right. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's unreal. And when it comes to just the function and the anatomy and, and whatnot of genitals, and especially of clitorises and vaginas, and people just don't even know where to begin. And I had seen yeah. on your Twitter, uh, I think it, like your Twitter, and I'm just letting all the American fuckers know there's a pinned tweet that leads to like all of the tweet threads, educational tweet threads about really fascinating it's stuff. It's awesome. As a sex educator, by the way, I just want to say how much we appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. But there was one about pre-cum. And we're oh, all yeah. sort of familiar with pre-cum from a penis. And we're like, oh, be careful because, you you know, you might still get pregnant. There might be a little sperm in there. And, uh, and that's pretty much all we know about pre-cum. And uh, I was reading all what you, you were talking about. And I was like, whoa. So tell us about pre-cum. And are penises the only you know parts of the body that have it? Yeah. So I love that you love <laughs> love this tutorial. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, it, this is again gets to that concept of homologs, right? So, so body parts that are the same, um, a, you know, in in different, you know, sexes, and they just are kind of rearranged differently. So, when you think of precom, what it is in nature is just like your body providing lubricant for Mm -hmm. sexual activity um and you know i mean at some point we were you know whatever hunter gatherers and we didn't have uh you know our tube of our our favorite lubricant um (laughs) you know on the nightstand and so you know thankfully (laughs) uber lube next to my saber tooth tiger pelt you know right yes I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were using some sort of like animal pelt, uh, you know, like the fat off some animal yeah. pelt. I don't know. Oh. I mean, maybe they were. I, I I haven't looked into the historic trends in, you know, uh, prehistoric uh, uh, sex aids. But um, <laughs> but that said, you know, our body, thankfully, uh, has taken a role in providing lubricant. Um, and that's what pre-cum is. And that's also what, you know, I- lubrication is, um, you know, in females. and so there's a bunch of different components of that, right? Because people think, for example, that lubrication in in females is like all from the vagina, but there's actually two components of it. So there's lubrication that happens from the vagina. Uh, and then there's also lubrication that comes from an area called the vestibule, which is basically, uh, you know, the, the area that is basically um, between the labia minora and the the hymenal ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's embryologically that area, the, the vestibule is the same as the penile urethra. Okay. Uh, in, in, in males. Uh, and th- so, so embryologically it's the same and they actually have 
um, glands that are the same as well. Uh So uh, there's these like minor vestibular glands, and those are the same as as the glands of the tray in in the penile urethra. Uh Um, And then, um, you know, there's there's actually like uh, a few other glands kind of around the opening, uh, you know, which we don't, you know, call Cowper's glands. Um, and essentially all of that is, is the body's lubricant or one of the types of lubricant and, and they're exactly the same. Um, so, you know, so no pre-cum theoretically could have sperm in it because let's say you ejaculated and there was some sperm like still in your urethra and then you had sex again. And so when you became lubricated and that washed the sperm that was already there, uh, you know, along with it. Right. Um, but but the components of pre-cum don't make sperm. So that's my like very long explanation of that. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I, I love just like, you know, that you're sharing this knowledge with people because it really is so like, okay, this is logical. This makes sense. But it's it's been made this like mystical thing that nobody knows. And it, yeah. I know. And to hear it I broken know. down is so simple. Right. I know. It's like, it's like top t- five things in Men's Health Magazine to get her wet. And it's oh, like, oh, <laughs> you're like, and then you read an article on that and there's like no content about anything. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, light some candles and flex your muscle. And I don't know. Like, <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> I saw like, one like, it was like, graze his balls with the prongs of a fork or something was in like the old what? school no yeah. way it's like oh no but since we're on the plumbing <laughs> since we're talking about all that uh one oh, yeah. of the huge huge uh you know confusing subjects out there when it comes to sexual health is the notion of the g-spot mm. and vaginal ejaculation uh yeah so what's the deal yeah, is so it I am obsessed. Is it real? Like what? What's going on? Yeah, I'm totally obsessed with this topic. So, um the prostate and the G-spot are the same thing. Uh and women have the G-spot. And again, when I say like male and you know, women and men, I just mean, you know, kind of um sex based on like embryologic development. Mm-hmm. Certainly there are people, you know, who identify as as men who have clitoris and vagina and, you know, people who identify as female who have, um, you know, penises. So thank you for so the clarification. Though, that be, our audience will appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think it's just, yeah. Um, so yeah. So the prostate typically what they like to say, walnut sized gland, uh, that sits at the base of the, the bladder, uh, in, in males, um, and can be felt through the rectum. Um, and urologists like to deal with all the medical conditions of, um, is the homolog of the G spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in females, the G spot or this prostate is much smaller. But if you take, uh, and it's found in the, in the front wall of the vagina. So right where the urethra is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you take that tissue from the front part of the vagina, the anterior wall, we call it, and you put uh-huh. it under a microscope and you stain it for certain markers that are only found in prostate, like PSA, um, y- it will stain positive for PSA. Uh-huh. Um, and in very rare occasions when somebody gets a uh, 
cancer of these periurethral glands in a female, it will actually grow into something that looks like a prostate and has an elevated PSA, uh, just like a prostate cancer. Um, so, Whoa, so it's actually wait, like a, I just had a thought, yeah. like when I, I do, I have my 23andMe DNA, you know, and I'm like, oh, and I have uh-huh. these markers for prostate cancer, but I'm like, I'm good. Now I need to worry, don't I? No, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't need to worry. Uh, you definitely don't need to worry. Like, okay. like cancers of of the G spot, basically G spot cancers are like ex- exceedingly, exceedingly rare. Like, probably you know one in a hundred million or something. Well, whereas thank prostate goodness. cancer, <laughs> yeah, and prostate cancer is like almost everybody gets ends up getting prostate cancer. So, right. so you yeah, know, it's something I need to, to call. call I need to have you call me out on something <laughs> uh, super important. What? Um, not you, her, um, we have been telling people for years that, um, doing a prostate massage is something that will decrease that can possibly decrease the chance of getting prostate cancer. Is that true at all? So there's a study showing that if you ejaculate, um, I think like at least 20 or 30 times a month that there is a lower risk of prostate cancer, um, and the findings of that study, it, it was a statistically significant um, difference, like mm-hmm. reduction in, in prostate cancer risk, but it wasn't very large of a risk, right? right. So it's like, uh, so so technically based on the data, yes, there was a slightly lower risk of prostate cancer with frequent ejaculation, uh, but it wasn't a dramatic reduction. And so I don't really like to focus on that specifically because then I, I worry that people are going to get into this like fear cycle right. where if they don't ejaculate every day, they're going to freak out and that it's going to be their fault if they get prostate cancer. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of de-emphasize that. Now, obviously, like ejaculation as a whole is not the same thing as prostate massage. Right. Um, but I don't think that specific anecdote is derived from a study looking at at prostate massage specifically yeah um, I, and i can't remember know. there was something that i read about the oxygenation of the prostate causing the expulsion of bacterial viral and fungal components and it had something to do with that uh yeah i mean that's an interesting concept but but i don't know, know if it's full people, of shit or not yeah i mean people with with prostatitis or urinary infections or infections of the prostate aren't shown to have higher risks of prostate cancer than people who don't have those issues. So I I can't really attest to a to an idea where you know kind of ex- like getting fungus out of your prostate would make it less yeah. likely to have cancer. I I will say one of the things that's really um traditionally been underemphasized in prostate cancer risk that is a big focus now is is genetics uh uh-huh. for example like you have you heard of the BRCA gene yeah yes yeah yeah so BRCA gene with with breast cancer risk has actually been we've been realizing more and more uh has a huge role in prostate cancer development yeah. so now when i have somebody come in uh, for prostate cancer screening i'm always asking them like do you have any family members with breast cancer um and you know other other family history so um you know i think if you're kind of talking about that aspect of health it's a you know really important link uh that's under underappreciated <laughs> yeah that's good to know that's good to know and yeah, you know, with like the the prostate studies i kind of take it in the same vein as like i don't know a f- few years back there was all these magazine articles like blueberries have antioxidants and you should eat blueberries oh, yeah. And, and yeah okay but it's not like i'm gonna eat blueberries and never get cancer 
<laughs> right. You know, in the scope no, of my totally. life, it's, you know, not that significant. No, yeah. I know. There was like a hot minute where everybody was saying like superfood every other second. And yeah. everybody was eating like goji berries. And, uh, you know, I mean, my general take with all that stuff is like, you know, moderate exercise, uh, you know, a good, well-rounded diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, like, you know, sleeping a good amount each night, like all these really basic, like, you know, everything in moderation concepts are the things that are going to make you live the longest. Uh Uh, And, you know, any, any clinician who like, obsessively tells you to have like one specific type of food or supplement or like, xyz as like the secret to health is probably like full of some bullshit yeah so yeah <laughs> but i'm gonna throw it out there for the american fuckers for those american fuckers that are uh, still a little squeamish about prostate play but really want to do it if you need me to give you the excuse like it's good for your health go ahead and do it you have my permission oh, yeah go ahead play with your butt okay <laughs> no and, and look, i mean it is it's good for your health in the sense that like orgasms are good for you right and- and and sex is a stress reliever and many people have just incredibly powerful release incredibly powerful orgasm incredibly you know just extre- wonderful experience with prostate play um and that's fantastic and people should explore it it's normal uh, it is the male G-spot. I mean, mm-hmm. that is what it is, right? So if you come from somebody massaging your prostate, that is your G-spot orgasm. Uh, these two things are exactly the same, mm-hmm. you know, or not exactly, but, you know, homologs. Right. <laughs> so why would you miss out on trying to have that amazing experience? And if you try it and it's not for you, it's not for you. But uh, yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And whether or not it prevents prostate cancer, you know, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you might hate chocolate too, but you know, most people like it. Right. Try it. Give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give it a try. Yeah. So so the G-spot is analogous to the prostate. Um, yes. What about squirt? Is it pee? Is it its own prostatic fluid? Is it a mixture? What's the story? And so that is also an awesome question. So it can be kind of all of those things. So, so there are, right, colloquially, <laughs> I can't speak, uh, you know, what you're talking about is when people say, oh, you know, she's a squirter, right? Um, and squirting can be pee. Uh, that's classically something known as climacteria. That's the word for it. Climacteria means you pee when you climax uh-huh. uh but it's a medical word it can actually also happen in males um typically after let's say prostate surgery um and and so there are some women who are squirters who it actually is that when they orgasm they kind of lose some control of their sphincter and and urine comes out hmm. um so that is some of them uh but then the classic like squirting of of non urine uh from the periurethral g spot glands is the equivalent to uh like ejaculate i mean if you right. measure the psa in it it is very high in psa now obviously it doesn't have sperm or anything because uh you know females do not have testicles um so so it's not going to have that component of it but it will have the homologous uh fluid to 
prostate secretions, um, which is really fascinating. And there are lab studies where they've like basically taken the fluid from squirters and and studied it, and mm-hmm. it was similar to prostate fluid. I just got a shameless plug. We did that on episode one of Sex with Sunny Megatron. You can get oh, it on amazing. your Showtime app right now. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I yeah, need I was to like, watch oh, that. I, I, and this, this is a geeky subject of mine. Like again, shameless plug for American fuckers who are like, this is interesting. Th- this is a lot of my G spot class. It's like, like, of course, I tell you how to have fun too, but like the precursor to the, here's how you rub the things is like, here's how it all works. And it's just right. fascinating. So those who are like, oh, this is cool, like take one of my classes seriously. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But you do have to understand how it works because how are you supposed to like, right? How are you supposed to make a car run if you don't know where the engine is? Like, right. It yeah. doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Like, you don't just, like, go and, like, probe every orifice and just, like, <laughs> hope that it feels good. Like, yeah. you should know where the stuff is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so. I, oh, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So this is, this is completely speculative, and you, you may just be like, I don't fucking know. That's not my specialty. But no. um, one of the places that the body has ACE2 receptors are the gonads. Are there any... Is there anybody looking into seeing if there's potential sterility from COVID positive uh, people that are maybe a little bit younger? You know what's right around the corner, Valentine's Day. And how many times have you gotten your partner flowers and chocolate? Come on, it's getting old, right? This Valentine's Day, spice things up with Like a Kitten's Couples Box. The Valentine's Couples Box is a one-stop shop for all of your sexy Valentine's Day bow chicka wow wow essentials. You don't waste all that time researching lubes and vibrators and accessories. Just grab a Valentine's Couples Box and you'll be all set for a spectacular evening. The box has ingredients to heighten all of your senses. You can paint each other with the edible chocolate CBD body paint. You know, have a little dessert each other. Or if you're in a nipple play, you can use the sex kitten nipple bells, ring-a-ding-ding-ding. And, you know, you're going to be getting some vibration too, right? The couple's box comes with a heart-shaped vibrator that really has some power behind it, if I do say so myself. And your choice of a dual arousal cock ring or a red rose anal plug. And they've got the lube covered too. You can choose from their pure four-pack lube essentials or the Bliss Anal Glide Lube. And there's even a couple of erotic games to inspire you to play in ways that you've never tried that maybe you wanted to try, but you didn't know how to bring up. And the game is your excuse. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering American Sex Podcast listeners 20% off and free shipping. Just go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or enter the code sunny at checkout. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Surprise your partner with an amazing Valentine's couples box. Just go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or use that code SUNNY to get your 20% off. Likeakitten.com slash SUNNY. And that link is in the episode description. Emails, laundry, groceries, the list goes on. There's a lot on your to-do list. But you know what should be at the top, right? It's you. This year, come on, put yourself first and do it with the help of Dipsy. Dipsy. 
Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories. And now they even have brand new written stories too. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring those stories to life anytime, anywhere. Close your eyes and let yourself get lost in a world where only really good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. There's hundreds of stories to choose from and they release new content every week, so there is always more to explore. And Dipsy has wellness sessions to help you wind down and sleep sessions to help you drift off. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. 30 days of full access for free. Just need to go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. So this is also a great question. Uh, and there are studies looking at this. So two things. So there was a s- prospective study um, by some urologists I actually know based out of University of Miami sh- looking at whether or not COVID vaccination affected, um, you know, male fertility. Oh, really? And they, yeah, it's a great study. You can find it, you know, on PubMed. Um, I don't have the, the exact information right in front of me, but basically they took, a, you know, a bunch of guys and they had them ejaculate and they looked at their semen analysis um, before they got vaccinated. And then, you know, sev- like several, you know, within several months after vaccination, and they didn't see any decrease in their semen parameters. Um after vaccination so you know like no reduction in sperm count in fact actually they for some reason had higher sperm counts um oh you know what covavax did that didn't they wasn't there the the uh there was an um a different vaccine out of india and they found that it actually raised sperm count but not in a super significant way but like something that might help them look for stuff in the future for 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 sterility Uh, yeah wow no that's okay First, take that, Cardi B. Um, But secondly, (laughs) (laughs) as I hear all this, how like people who aren't vaccinated, you keep hearing like. Did you just shame Cardi B? No, I love Cardi B, but you know. But that's not who you meant. No, no, no. It was uh, it was Nicki Minaj. It was Nicki Minaj. Oh, shit. Sorry. Sorry, Cardi. You take Cardi B's name out of your whore mouth, wife. I love you. That's Mick, that's Mickey Minaj all the way. You owe her an apology. I'm sorry, Cardi B. Cardi B, I stand for you. I've got brain fog. Leave me alone. Okay. It's <laughs> okay. I, I keep hearing about like all of these other studies about, you know, people who are unvaccinated or getting COVID or whatnot may affect their reproduction, you know, negatively. And then all of these, these things about like people who are vaccinated affect them positively. I'm like, these are the steps, the precursor in the plot to our own real world handmaid's tale. One yes. section of the, you know, the conservatives can't oh, reproduce. Jesus. And the, yes. Yes. I'm telling you, you know, under his eye, I am telling you. Oh, my right? God. I, well, I mean, uh, all the all the abortion restrictions. Yes. I mean, 
are like make me feel like we're in a handmaid's tale i mean it's just like women having absolutely no control over their body and basically a bunch of people who you know are not women of childbearing age deciding what women can and cannot do with their body and it's just how does that not feel like anything other than handmaid's totally i I just totally yeah it just I mean, it kind of feels like the gallery in Dallas, Texas, sort of. Oh, God. (laughs) The way things are heading there lately. It's it's really not that much different, is it? It's not. Yeah, I'm going to just have to get used to saying, blessed be the fruit. Like, geez. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I honestly, like, I can't, I just can't even imagine, you know, as somebody who's right now trying to get pregnant and having fertility issues, like, I can't even imagine, you know, if I was concerned through that process of not being able to control what happened through that process, I just, I just can't even imagine. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, me and my husband this past year had a miscarriage and, oh, you know, I'm I didn't so want to wait to pass it. And I had a DNC, which is, you know, the same procedure as an abortion, uh, you know, and, and certainly it wasn't technically the same thing in the sense that, you know, the, the fetus was not live anymore, but the point being like, if I lived in Texas, I would have to be scared that somebody saw that I had a DNC yeah. and yeah. they could sue me because oh, I technically Jesus. had the same procedure as an abortion, you know, and and it's nobody else's business. But but I didn't have an abortion, but I could have been sued because somebody saw that I had a DNC and that's crazy. Right. And wow. like and they don't and if they were wrong, they don't even have to pay me for my legal fees. I mean, it's crazy. Like, it's, what it, you know what? Living in I mean, all the different states is really making a difference right now. We've just moved to Nevada from Chicago. Like yeah. we live in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. We moved here from Chicago. And now we actually have uh, like abortion and reproductive rights is in the state constitution here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it, yeah. it's surprisingly progressive. I had no idea how progressive it was here in the state of Nevada. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it's going to become this thing where, you know, if if Roe with, gets overturned, which I'm sure it will, uh, it's going to come down to states. And I just, I cannot, as a, you know, as a person with a uterus, I cannot imagine living in a state where where my bodily autonomy was so, so challenged. Right, and, you know, right. I just... I yeah, just, I hope nobody. <laughs> I hope people listening to this are are pro abortion. No, we we I, our um, show is very a million percent. This you is know. this will be part <laughs> yeah. of the future underground railroad when it comes to like people yes. needing reproductive rights. So yeah. like I can assure yes. you, like we're, we're we're you know like we're to the left of left. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, that's why I don't even say I'm pro choice. I'm just like pro abortion like not pro-abortion in the sense that like i think abortion's amazing and everybody should go get an abortion but like i am but like i don't want to whitewash it like i'm pro somebody who needs an abortion to have an abortion like i agree a million percent like we just need to say it (laughs) you know what i mean like so yeah yeah no one million percent that's on board it's like the hell the the hell is going to world in a handbasket oh brain fog yeah Yeah, you know what i I mean uh before we wrap up, there's one uh, subject I wanted to touch on, and that is urethral sounding. Now, some of our mm. audience is like, oh, yeah, or they're like, oh, yeah. Um, and some are like, what? And I, I joke and I say, well, it's when like you get really close and listen to the dick and you can hear the ocean. That's not. <laughs> um, but it's it's inserting, you know, there are, are, are sounds made for they're usually either uh, metal or silicone that you stick in the urethra. We typically think of it as penises, but some people with vaginas also do urethral sounding. Um, mm-hmm. So, A, it, it, is it safe? 
Uh, B, what should we, you know, for those who are like, I don't care if it's safe or not, I'm doing it. I was it. just going to say, uh, people are going to do it right. whether or not what it's safe. What should they, like Damage harm reduction wise, yeah. what should they uh, look out for or be careful of from a safety standpoint? Sure. So, you know, I'll jump even to a question you didn't ask, but kind of what's the physical basis for pleasure there, right? Because ooh, there are plenty ooh. of people who don't enjoy it, but there right. are people who enjoy it. And what I tell to pe- people is, you know, it is a normal physical variant to enjoy urethral sounding, like actually enjoy it. Like, yes, there can be like the, you know, kind of the the pleasure in the pain sort of concept, right. but there's also people who legitimately it feels good. Right. And there's a physical basis for that. And part of the the way to understand that is that it's the same um, nerve endings on the spinal level as your penis or your clitoris. Um, and a lot of the um, sensory innervation, at least to the to the kind of immediate um uh, you know, kind of external parts of the urethra, um, as well as the, you know, penis or clitoris, uh, travel in this, the thing called the pudendal nerve, right. uh, which also carries the sensation from around the anus, um, up to your spinal cord. So, uh, you know, it's actually very much so like people compartmentalize all these areas of erogeny, right? Uh-huh. Uh, like people think butt stuff is only for people who have an interest in butt stuff, right? Like, or it's for people who, you know, are not straight or like, it's not true, right? right? So it's just a physical fact that sensation from specific spinal levels uh, and carried through your pudendal nerve uh, is associated with erogenous stimulation. Um, so, you know, it's different for everyone, just like the same way you know, you have some females who orgasm for bo- from both G-spot stimulation and from clitoral stimulation. You have some people who don't. And, you know, you have some people who have physical pleasure from sounding and people who don't. And, uh-huh. you know, that's that's all of that is, you know, what I would consider just normal variants. So so, you know, th- I would say that is the first thing, like, you know, for people who think like somehow something's wrong with them like nothing's wrong with you if you like sounding there's also nothing wrong with you if you don't like sounding so so that's the first thing uh and maybe that stuff you know i'm sure you guys like cover and and talk about but um and then you know the in terms of is it safe it's it's safe if you do it safely right Mm -hmm. so what i mean is i you know don't i mean as a urologist i have had to come in in the middle of the night uh because somebody has shoved too many pens up their penis and they were stuck and they couldn't pee like oh they had a big dick i'm sorry it just it was in my brain it was like say me say me okay sorry yes no it's okay did did they have the little clickers on them take a handful of pens and shove them up your penis right it won't end up well, right. That's not safe. Don't do that. Okay. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, but you can do it safely. And uh, a really good way of thinking about this is the fact that, uh, have you ever heard of intermittent catheterization? Yeah. Okay. So basically there are a lot of people who can't get all their urine out of their body on their own. And this includes a lot of people, for example, people with like neurologic conditions, multiple sclerosis, spinal cord injury, super huge prostates who can't pee on their own. Right. And what they do is in the safety of their own home or a bathroom stall or wherever the hell they are, they take a catheter, which is a, you know, plastic or rubber or whatever tube, and they stick it up their pee hole 
all the way to their bladder and they drain their bladder and they do that every single time they have to pee always right wow. and they are fine <laughs> so and that is a medical prescribed intervention so so there's absolutely no way that we can't say to people oh you can't stick things up their urethra if doctors tell you know probably millions of people across the globe to stick things up their urethra every single day uh -huh. um so you know that's one way to think about it and and so i tell people think about this from a safety standpoint, the way we think about intermittent catheterization. So with catheterization, we say make sure your catheters are clean, right? They don't have to be sterile, but they do need to be clean. Um, you know, that that you're, you wash your hands before you do it. Um, and that, you know, obviously you're using something that's designed for that specific purpose. So uh -huh. uh, if for some reason you were interested in using something that was like smaller and flexible, you could always order some urinary catheters and play around with those. Um, you know, they are designed to get all the way up into your bladder uh -huh. and bypass your sphincter. So if you're, you know, really inserting those all the way, uh, it is a hollow tube and your pee will come out. So, you know, if you like sounding and you also like pee play, then maybe, hey, you know, double the, you can, double the fun. <laughs> right. Then, then you can stone. buy some, some, some catheters and right. you can play around with those and that's fine. Um, you know, I also do strongly recommend lub copious lubrication because, um, uh, you know, as a urologist, we're aware, very aware of urethral strictures, which is basically where you develop scar tissue in your urethra. Uh, and that can happen when you put something that's rough, uh, or unlubricated up your, up your urethra. And believe me, you don't want to get a urethral stricture because that can be like, super badness where you have to have like a major reconstructed surgery. So, Ooh. so there's catheters and then you can also buy urethral sounds, right? right? Which are like urologists use urethral sounds all the time. When I have somebody with a stricture uh, or a narrow urethra and I have to stick something up there. And like, we have sets of uh, metal urethral sounds, um, you know, that, that are specifically designed to go into pee holes <laughs> and, and usually they'll come in like a pack and they'll come in like a, a bunch of sizes getting like steadily larger. Uh -huh. Um, and, and you can definitely buy medical grade sounds, um, you know, online. Oh, totally. Uh, you don't have to have to be like a physician to buy them. And then, and yeah. And I mean, if you use that in the context of making sure that it's clean, that your hands are washed, that you lubricate them well, um, you know, that you stop if you're having difficulty passing it, if there's blood, um, you know, uh, some other concern, uh, you know, and, and make sure that you're using something again, that, that is not going to go fully up your urethra. Like don't uh -huh. ever lose sight of the whole thing because then oh. you could end up with it stuck. Oh my uh, goodness. So. I, you thought getting without. something stuck in your butt was bad. Oh yeah. And furries, if you're trying to do raccoon cosplay, don't go that route. The baculum needs yes. to stay in the raccoon, not, not a furry suit. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just yes, just make sure that you do not lose lose sight of what you're sticking up there. So, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what what are your guys' typical recommendations to people about sounding? Uh, I think you covered it. Like, actually, I'm, actually, I never thought of using like cat temporary catheters. Like, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, like, that I, is, I, I, just, I, I just thought like that. Oh, I, I do. I do have one question though. Um, yeah. Lube is very so. So many people have allergies or sensitivities. What kind of lube should you use for oh, this? Oh, yes. That is an excellent point. Don't use like your run-of-the-mill lube. Like I would use something like a Surgilube. Um, 
um, I don't, I'm sure you can buy it online. Like surgical yeah. lube is, is just sterile and it's very inert and it doesn't do anything special, right? Like it's not, it's not. And that's what I was going to say right there is that you want the, you want the, the lube to be sterile in like just the, the, the sound can be just disinfected. It doesn't have to be completely sterile. Right. Yeah. But you should use a, you should use a sterile lube and you can look up like surgical, sterile surgical lube and you can buy them in packets. Um, and, and totally, I mean, um, but yeah, you don't want to use like your run of the mill. Like some people are like, Oh, I like using, you know, coconut oil for my, like for sex. And, you know, don't use that if you're sounding yourself. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) So that is a great, great point. Um, but yeah, and then this isn't a really great topic because I've had a patient come to me and he was like sounding and he was so scared to talk about it. And he thought I would like walk out the door laughing at him or something. And I was like, literally every day I see patients who I tell them to stick things up their penis. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so, so why would I care if you're doing that? You just need to be educated about it. Right. Um, you know, like that's, that's great (laughs) advice. And, you know, for those who are kinky, it's, we know that it's really hard to go online or even to get books and get accurate information. And especially with something like sounding, like you don't want to give yourself an infection or hurt yourself. Like you, Mm -hmm. it could be dangerous. You know, they consider it edge play. Like it's risky if you don't know what you're doing. And if let's say, you know, you find a website all about sounding, how do you know that person's reputable? How do you know they know what they're talking about? So a great second alternative would be to look at websites telling you about catheterization and that sort of thing to get some, you know, double check that that information is medically accurate. So. And and I just have to say, if you didn't have love for urologists before this episode, I want you to watch the episode of Deadwood where Al Swearingen has to have a kidney stone removed with 18 (laughs) 73 technology oh Oh, god (laughs) i can't imagine i mean i i I can't imagine how it was sort of sounding (laughs) no as much as people like to rail on like you know vaccines and medicals like the medical system today and everything it's just it's incredible you know it's incredible like i do surgeries all the time where i get massive stones out of people and they walk out of the surgery center the same day and like back in the day it was like Oh, you have a kidney stone? You're just going to die. Yeah. Like, sorry. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's incredible what we can do now. Um, Uh. You know, interestingly, who was it? One of the, like, founding fathers was was in urinary retention, and he would have to catheterize himself. Really? Um, Yeah. Who was it? Um, And back then, they didn't have, like, obviously, like, I think he used glass catheters. So I think he would, like, essentially, like, sound himself. Um, who was it? Oh James Madison. No. Oh my no. goodness. Now I'm like. John Quincy Adams. Someone needs to do like a kink play with like glass sounds and wooden teeth and, you know, kind of like. <laughs> Powdered wigs. Weird role play. I will not yeah. tell a lie. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I, I'm trying to remember if it was like, I feel like it was like. Thomas Jefferson or oh, maybe wow. it wasn't. I don't know. I have to look this up. But that one of them definitely like he probably had a really big prostate and you know it was before we had surgery for that. And yeah, and he like took a gl- I think a glass cath tube and like jammed it up his urethra every day. Oof. Uh so, you know, a little unknown 
factoid that I, I am fascinated. That's yeah. interesting. Someone's going to hear this yeah. and go do a, a, a recreate. There'll be a TikTok about that. this. Yeah, at some totally. Point. Totally. <laughs> oh my God. I would, I would love to see somebody dressed up like a founding father doing that. On yes. The, uh, yeah. Oh my like, God. We have a lot of TikTokers that are out there. So TikTokers listen up. If you can do cosplay and you talk about medical stuff. <laughs> or it could be like, there could also be a little bit of singing. It could be like a Hamilton esque type of kink oh, scene. Yeah. With, with, yeah. yeah it, there's a whole lots of possibilities. American fuckers go take those creative ideas and let us know what you come up with. Um, this has been such <laughs> a fascinating conversation. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm just picturing that. I can't. I'm distracted. Um, This has been amazing. You are doing such good work, you know, not just in in the the exam rooms, of course, you know, but on Twitter, on, you know, talking podcasts like this, letting people know and demystifying all of these things about our bodies that we think are mysterious or that we only get information from people who are not medical professionals or that when we, we, we assume medical professionals are like fuddy duddies that don't know anything about sex and aren't going to give us good information. That's a, a good intersection between healthy and sex positive. And you are yeah. that. So, uh, I might point out you, Med Twitter altogether well, is free you. and you provide free education to all yeah. of these people <laughs> that, like, this is like, it's so, and I just want you to know how much we appreciate it. Just mm-hmm. like there is oh. a ton of us out there that appreciate you, uh, people like Dr. Ryan Marino, like all, like all of those folks that are out there doing the good work, especially the sarcastic, snarky ones. Yes. You're my favorites. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you. And thank you for what you guys do. It is so important. Um, yeah, I mean, we just need, you know, sexuality education in, in all its forms um, mm-hmm. and, and tons of it, uh, you know, so yeah. And, and I feel I do feel very strongly that, me- you know, medical people should get need to get in the fray because, you know, with the explosion of social media and, you know, kind of internet health gurus, there are the people who you know, are really trying in earnest to be factual and Uh safe and empowering. And then there are the people who, you know, I don't know what their mission is just to like, I I don't even know. (laughs) And, and all the people who are on the side of like safe, good fact-based information just need, you know, in all their ways to, to, to keep spreading you know, keep spreading the info. Mm-hmm. Here, here. And yeah, like, again, shameless plug, if you're listening, and you're like, Oh, you know, I put together a curriculum for a medical school, hire us to come talk to y'all. So you can hear all the freaky things that people do with the, their genitals in the bedroom. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And American fuckers listening along, we will have all of Ashley's links, especially Twitter and all that fun stuff um so you can follow along and join the the party the 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 pee party not the, the pee, pee party, party. yes party. <laughs> <laughs> awesome thank you and uh Ashley, yeah. thank you so much yeah. we really appreciate your time yeah. all righty bye bye Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. 
you know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.